All right, everybody. Welcome back. Best hour of their day. Not jerk block talk, but we were talking about that. If you've been around for a while, it's going to be. We're bringing it back. We're bringing Mm -hmm. it back. Phil Sabatini, Brendan McDaniel, East Coast Gold Weightlifting here at CrossFit Rife. We're going to talk all things weightlifting, weightlifting club, why weightlifters are generally unhappy people, (laughs) um, all of those things. Um, But yeah, so give a little background, each of you real quick, just for context, right? So who are you? What do you do? Phil Sabatini. Uh, I've been involved in weightlifting since 2006, so 17 years now. Uh, Mostly as an athlete the past 10 years or so, more so as a coach. Uh, Have been affiliated with East Coast Gold since I started weightlifting and then have taken over as acting president. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is HQ. This is headquarters for East Coast Gold here. So, Former national champion, Mm -hmm. 94. Yep, and 96. Oh, okay. And then, um, and then, how many national titles does East Coast Gold have at this point, oh, team wise? Like uh, sixteen, eighteen, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Both men's and women's. Yeah. Very cool. successful since nineteen ninety two. We've been a staple on the podium, team wise. Cool. Brenda McDaniel. I got into weightlifting in like two thousand eleven. I started coaching. I was a CrossFit coach before. Found weightlifting through CrossFit. Started coaching on my own and then met up with Phil in like 2014. Like I right think. before you, or like right before you guys came mm-hmm. here. And then we've been coaching together ever since. And I, the only team I've ever been affiliated with is East Coast Gold before I was just trying to do stuff on my own. Yeah. And then, cause, and the reason I wanted to chat with you guys is like, I, I do get a lot of questions from like, Hey, I do start a weightlifting team. And I, and very candidly, I never, I'm like, I really have an answer. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, I don't, I'm not really sure. Like this is a thing that, pretty much everybody that's replicable i mean like you could build a weightlifting team but like what we have here is very unique which is cool and i'm and i'm super happy about it but i did want to kind of unpack it like talking about like you know starting a weightlifting club what makes a weightlifting club successful all that kind of stuff i'll I'll also have an over under on me for like how long it's going to take phil to be weird on camera (laughs) (laughs) for somebody that's so talented i still don't understand why you're so (laughs) Why are you so, why are you so weird? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he's wearing slacks and a collared shirt. So ah, I had to work today. Yeah, Dress yeah, for the yeah, job you want. Yeah. <laughs> so um, talk a little bit just about the team here. So, you know, how many weightlifters do we have here? Oh, uh, I would say 55? probably, yeah, I would say 55, like senior level. And then we have kids and juniors. I would say it fluctuates anywhere between 60 and 70 and sometimes more total. And then um, I think I was trying to figure this out earlier. Like you guys might know, I think we're like this marriage is like six year, maybe longer, six or seven. I want to say 2016. 16, really? we broke through the wall and came over here, right? 15, so 15, man. we started. So eight. So eight. It's going to be eight. Yeah. Holy I'm shit. Funny. Okay. I know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then so like you and I connected because you were at another gym that has closed mm-hmm. back yeah. like eight years ago and you're yeah. like looking for home and then. We were over there and we had the three, we had three platform first and then we went to six. Mm-hmm. Then it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Then we moved over here. It was a legit safety concern. Yeah. And then now what we have here is like 18 platforms, you know, like a, just, which is solely dedicated. We don't do anything yeah. in here besides it's a training like, hall. it's a training hall. Yeah. Four um, sets of jerk blocks. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, is it four? One, two, three. Yeah, it is four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is four too many. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's been cool to to watch you guys and then and then looking forward to like things you guys got coming up, like mm-hmm. you know, more programs, affiliate owners who want to get stuff, we'll talk about all of that. But yeah. kind of you know, for, for people that are 
some of the things that you've learned, both of you guys, because you guys have built this together, like mm-hmm. building a weightlifting club, just general takeaways. Like what have you learned? What's what kind of some of the do's and don'ts there? I think, uh, you know, there's many gyms that have barbell clubs, you know, but it's very different from what we have here. Uh, and I think the number one thing is something that you've always preached, you know, with just the culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like our retention's amazing. People come. I mean, they've been they people here for five, six years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from a quality standpoint, our lifters, like even some of our newer lifters are, are lifters that like technically don't have totals that would get them to national levels are still pushing around some pretty substantial weight. Their technique looks really good. Like I think what we have is definitely a step above like what you would see at just your general barbell club in any gym. And I think a lot of that has to do with the culture. You know, our coaching is really high quality, but also, you know, they, the, the team itself, like lifters help lifters, lifters hold each other accountable. It's weightlifting first. We don't have a lot of drama and stuff like that. Usually when we do, it eliminates itself. Yeah. The um they break things. <laughs> yeah. It's a very demanding sport. <laughs> broke the light switch in the bathroom. <laughs> it's just, really like, hard. Though, it. I'm like, it's know? a motion sensor. You didn't heavy, even need to like touch the, it. Realize what you've done. Yeah, the motor controls kind of. No, so. it's uh, but it's uh, it's it 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 is a perfect marriage. Meaning, like, the, there there's obvious carryover, and um, and I think more people can maybe not do this just because the, a lot of it is predicated on your background, your expertise, you, you know, we'll call it lineage from Leo Totten and, and what you've learned from him and sure. then transferring that to Brendan and then bring on new coaches. Um, but for somebody who's going to like start a club, let's just start here from a programming standpoint. And this is usually what I try to preach first. There's a difference between kind of supplementary weightlifting meaning which is what a lot of they're like hey I'm doing crossfit and then I'm weightlifting with a little additional stuff and a lot of people come here and want to do that mm-hmm. and you and I have all three of us have always been on the same page I very very heavily discourage that mm-hmm. because this is this is the sport of weightlifting mm-hmm. and it is very different very different can you talk about just giving people an overall idea of like the volume and some of that with regard to like a traditional weightlifting program. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is the frequency, you know, like most of the lifters train four days a week and that some more and of course some less, but still, if you're going to just train three days a week, you're still going to be pretty tired, pretty beat up. You know, like there's so many different ways that we load or accumulate or whatever terminology you want to use for it. And uh, it's pretty consistent, you know, so it's 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 rare that you can find success doing other things when you're really dedicated to a, a strict weightlifting program. Just as the, far the, as the difference is, yeah. I mean, do you want to speak on it, Bren? Yeah, I mean, it well, like the volume, like you're talking about the volume. You come in to the gym here; it's at least ninety minutes that from the time you walk in till you're done training. And in that ninety minutes, if it's a snatch day, you're gonna have your warm up. You're gonna go through whatever percentage work that's going to get you from the empty bar to your working sets. And in those working sets, you're going to have multiple reps up there. It's never just like a heavy single and walk away, you know, then you're going to move into strength work and other accessory work. After Which is that. funny because other people are like, well, that's not the strength. Right. Work. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> just snatching. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's your skill and technique work yeah. essentially for the sport. And then you go to pulls, squats, 
and whatever other work you need at the end, whether it's more mobility work, specific strength stuff, something that's not with the barbell that's going to help you later on. It's it's built to for your time off to be spent off, not off. for your time off to be spent doing another thing. Right. It's funny you mentioned, like, oh, well, that's not the strength work. With the national squad, the block that they're doing right now, you know, we're still pretty far out from from nationals. Well, uh, when is nationals? Uh, July 1st. Oh, so we're like five months. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. So we've been doing a ton of volume. It was a really slow build. Uh, and this new block that they're on, they're on week one of this new three-week block, is the first block that has had three exercises, like core exercises in it. The other ones would have like a snatch and a lot of reps, a squat, and then maybe like a superset, whether it's bodybuilding or accessory right. work. This block has three big exercises in it. So they might snatch and they might back squat, then they might RDL. And everyone smoked and complaining. They're like, oh, my God. Like, uh, it, it wasn't that bad until we added the RDLs in yeah. at the end. And it's really lightweight. But just the addition of that one exercise changes the whole the whole game. Yeah, and I think that's what it, that's really – it's an education piece, right? And yeah. it's just like – and it's not to say that the supplementary programs are bad. Mm -hmm. But I think we're – if you want to establish, a, like, a legitimate barbell club, I, I think it should be looked at through the lens of, like – let's put some people on the podium and not just like one person who has an affinity for weightlifting. Like let's we'll start to bring people in here. I mean, there's days in here where like, there's no open platforms. There's people are sharing barbells, all the weights are gone, the yeah. weights are gone and we don't have a shortage of and equipment. It's a big here. space. It's a big yeah. space. It's like the, just for anybody who hasn't seen, it's probably 2000 square feet or more, just the weightlifting side. And there's not a spare platform in the house. Right. And then there's people in this space. They're either warming up, up or transition, waiting, waiting yep. all that kind of stuff. Um, how, so how many in the, cause typically you guys will send 20 people to either like one of the AOs or nationals. Is that? Yeah. Somewhere between 10 and 20, like uh, team wise as a whole, you know, including the people that we coach and our affiliates, it's can be close to 30 from our specific location and anybody that we work with remotely as mm -hmm. coaches, it's usually around 15. Okay. As far as, um, and it, when did you guys start the beginner pro? Or not your beginner program, like your what do you guys call it the now? Developmental yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where you start. Well, no, not that one. So oh, like somebody comes in. The six week. Yeah, yeah. Their six week mm -hmm. intro. Intro. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the? I always want to say indoctrination. Uh, yeah. Acclimation. <laughs> I call it an acclimation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that is that's a good thing to talk about too because people don't want to hear the word introduction. Get double stamp, double stamp, Lord. Like people want to come in here and they're like, well, I don't, I know how to snatch. I don't need introductory program or the intro. You know what I yeah, mean? Which like okay, fine. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't matter. And I explain it to him. I say, it doesn't matter like age, skill level, whatever. We have everybody go through this program. Even the national level lifters will go through this program because this is what gets us on the same page. Technique, terminology, we develop a, a relationship, but more importantly, as coaches, this is, it's designed to see flaws. It's designed to exploit the lifter and we see what the needs are so we can program to that lifter effectively, you know? And so, so what it, would those be? Right. So like, you're like, Hey, I need to see, I need to figure out what Brendan's deficiencies are. Like, right. so talk about like, what does that program look like? Um, it's a ton of positional work. So it's a ton Hang. of holds. Yeah. Hangs holds, you know, uh, like snatches with a pause of below the knee or <clears throat> above the knee or something like that. I was, I was love watching 
come, like just walking through and watching somebody who's like who clearly goes on the new one and like can't figure out where the fuck their knees are at. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But it's little things like that. Like it's our philosophies that if you don't really have an understanding of where the position or what the movement or the phases of the lift stops and starts, you can't self-correct. You don't really have an understanding of the lift if you don't understand where what people refer to as the first pull, which we refer to as the push. Where does that stop and where or start and where does that stop? You can't tell me that. You don't know how you, what technique is. You don't know how to self-correct, and you have no idea like what consistency is in the lift. It's every lift is different. Then, you know. So these are the kind of things that we get and opportunities to coach in the acclimation phase. And this is where we change the perspective of people's or change their perspective about what the lift actually is. When did you guys change the name on that? Just now, 2018, maybe. Yeah, it was a little oh, okay, yeah. okay. That's uh, it's something I've. Um, and I think it's a weird one, right? Because like, oh, the name doesn't fucking matter. But like, the, it naming things matters. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. just and like people in, hear acclamation and they're like, oh, good, yeah, I, I need that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need an introductory, need that, but yeah, I need acclamation. I'm, I'm a little nervous, you know. And they'll look and they'll see some of our national level lifters throwing weights around, and yeah. they're intimidated, and they're like, oh, good, you know, you're not going to throw me into that. Are you? <laughs> no, that's like, 140. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the what uh, it's something that I've uh, continually learned, and like, and and we're kind of doing the same thing on the other side with the new program. But it it, it is kind of hard to back into because it's like there's a resistance to like find the right name because it feels wrong is like the programmer or whatever but what you brought up is important like how people react to the name should be something that you pay attention to if like if they have a visceral reaction to the name yeah. it's like well just change the name it, mm -hmm. it helps with the buy-in too like if they're not immediately met with all oh, these guys think i don't know what i'm doing you know now they're like oh these guys want to help me they're they've mm -hmm. designed they're giving me a program to help me i mean they still don't know what they're doing right but. we still yeah. know that they don't know what they're doing but they feel better about it <laughs> Which is all that matters, yeah. right? But, you know, the when you get, when the buy-in, you want, like, a little bit of skepticism, so you have opportunities to be like, no, this is why we do it the way we do it. Like, you want some questions, but, like, 90% buy-in and 10%, like, skepticism is really good with a new lifter, because they're like, well, why? And then when you get to tell them, and they're like, oh, shit, mm. okay. I don't know what I'm I doing. Or they're like, <laughs> yeah, and it's, this the, goes uh, one of two ways. <laughs> it's either, huh, I never thought of it that way. Wow, like, this is great. Yeah. Or it's like, that's, a, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, and so, but That's then, not how I do it. That's then even, yeah. they can't perform the exercise. <laughs> right. They can't do it correctly. The, they can't even make a rep at like 60 or 70% and they're super frustrated. And then, like, they just by default <laughs> are like, okay, <laughs> you win. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when somebody's looking for a weightlifting program, like what would be some key indicators from each of you? Hey, this is appropriate volume, appropriate position work. And I get that there's phases and it depends on where they're going. But again, think a novice. So they're like, hey, I'm looking for somebody or a program to start. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend? I think my biggest thing is it, for somebody who's been coaching it enough or doing it for a long time, they'll be able to tell you strength and technique is, is quality specific. You know what I mean? So meaning a lot what? Of, like they have to be, it doesn't, it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. That makes a difference, you know? So doing thousands of reps, like, so what you see a lot of programs might have like every single exercise on there that they know, you know what I mean? <laughs> People are just like, okay, well, it's a snatch day. I know snatch balance, snatch grip, jerk, snatch grip, push press, uh, power snatch, uh, Power snatch from hang, power snatch from floor, full snatch. And they go through all, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you see that, to me, Run. like th there's no thought behind it. And sh we can do everything 
doesn't mean we'll get anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We need to get something. But that something has to be of the highest quality it can to transfer into technique. And then so does strength. Strength a lot of times is accumulation-based, sure. But if you're not doing it well, then those like leaks in movement or weaknesses that we're talking about, they're going to show up when the weight gets heavy anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it has to be of a high quality. So I think from our standpoint, like you want to see like intent behind programming. So positional work, heavy strength based, heavy general movements, not a lot of fluff because in the end it's the intent that's going to make technique changes or, increase the quality of the movement Mm -hmm. it's not doing thousands of different things it's like uh people you know well what's a drill for that snatch (laughs) well i get my snatch so could you have a drill for that no snatch (laughs) you know what i mean it's like what's the intent though you can't just snatch you can't just grab a barbell and throw it over your head like what are you working on right and and you have to make an adjustment you know what's the we say this all the time in the gym jim what's the definition of insanity Doing Do the, the same, same thing, thing over, over and over expect, again, expecting result. different results. And that's like weightlifting. It's like right. where you keep doing the same thing, do something different, literally anything different, you know? And that's where having intent in your training is what's, you know, most important. So, well, what, how did you actually get into Like, how did you two connect? I don't know. I even know that story. <laughs> so, we're both from Pittsburgh. Grew oh, yeah. Up, I don't want to fucking talk about grew it. Grew up <laughs> like 20 minutes away from each other, if that. And both ended up in Virginia. I was coaching at a meet in North Carolina. I took a couple people down and Phil had. Were you already coaching at hybrid? Yes. I I was coaching at hybrid and stability. I started two separate barbell clubs and had the hybrid people traveled with me. The stability people didn't travel. So we would switch back and forth. Right. And I was coaching there, took a couple people to this meet in North Carolina and Phil was there with this other guy, Reagan, who's also from Pittsburgh. I heard their accents, whatever. I was probably wearing a pirate's hat. It's <laughs> coaching. And he, we just started talking at that meet and found out that I was from Virginia beach. He's in Virginia beach. And then I think it was like two weeks later, I went over, he was at accolade at the time, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. now the gym that no longer exists. And I went over there and brought the people that I had on my team to train with him. And we were like, yeah, let's do this. This is going to work. How, how kind of, how, how, de- how, deep down the rabbit hole had you gotten into weightlifting at that point where you're like pretty immersed in it? Yeah. Or are you I, still kind of doing a little bit of No, crossword? I was, I was like all the way committed to, I, at that point I really didn't care about my lifting that much. I was very interested in co- like learning how to coach and program. And I was fortunate enough, Chris Wilkes, who's mm-hmm. Kane Wilkes dad, yep. they used to live in Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. And For people to know, like he's an Olympian. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, Wilkes has coached him his whole life. They're super great people. I had the opportunity to. I used to train in their garage. Yeah, I have too. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jess and I used to go there. This is dude. This was probably two thousand nine, ten, when we were like, we need to figure out how to to lift weights. And we like that was when like weightlifters didn't exist. Like they were just like you got to go to like a different country to find something. (laughs) What the fuck they were talking about? And found out like he's in Chesapeake, and we like went over there, and you know he's he's. Crit, you know, yeah. he's coach Wilkes. Like he's, oh, yeah, he's yeah. that, he's that guy. And, but like we would lift in there and, um, with Kane and Cody and Cord. Uh, yeah, and Cord. And, uh, and it was just like, I learned a lot in there, dude. Yeah, Things yeah. that I still use today when mm-hmm. I'm teaching movements like he's, and, uh, but Kane is a, a phenomenal lifter. He's a big boy. Um, 
But yeah, that's a, that brought back a memory. Like yeah. just like every Sunday we'd go in there and he would just abuse us. <laughs> yep. He would just like, not like heavy weights, but what you're talking yeah. about. Like he would just expose us like mm-hmm. in the worst ways with regard to like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And, uh, but it made me and be it, able to see it. Right. So he'll, be able to see say, it. okay, you're doing this. Right. So. <laughs> right. And then it was like, but I learned a lot just a, to be coachable, but B about the, the nuances of weightlifting, yeah. right? Like it's, it's a, it's a lot. Right. And I think people underestimate it when you started, pro- how long, like what was the hardest part about programming for you when you started getting into it? So what Phil's example, that's, that was me. I was like, all right, it's a snatch day. We're going to do it. I, so I took it from like, I want these guys to know that I know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to program so that they know I'm smart, which was the dumbest thing to do. I just wrote everything that they could do every time and it was just way too much and I was like all right I should probably program to get them better instead of letting them know that I know what I'm talking about it's not working right so I, I, they're not they don't think I know what I'm talking about and they're not getting better yeah I dialed that back a lot and made it really simple and everyone I worked with had some exposure through CrossFit which is good and bad because right. when they come in fresh they don't have any faults that you have to correct or any cues they heard before. And they're like, I don't know. I really like my coach. I'm pretty sure he was right. You try to tell them, tell them something different. It's like, all right, this is going to be a little bit more, but that was the best thing for me that everyone was like kind of good at weightlifting, but also really bad. So like (laughs) they could get the bars where they were supposed to be, but it was, I got to see every fault and I just got to watch people all the time and work through it. And this dude, DJ, Yep. Yep. <laughs> and Mike Stocks wow. lifted with me the yep. longest and they were super patient and they let me try a bunch of different programming stuff out with them and they had really good results and I just kept changing as I went and I looked DJ was a Pan Am's guy, Masters. Masters right? Pan yep. Am's, yeah. What about Mike? He no, just really I'm, liked to lift, honestly. Yeah, yeah. 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 He yeah. Okay. But yeah, I uh like I took the apprenticeship role, so I reached out to Chris Wilkes and got to sit in on training sessions where he was coaching uh, Kane and I would just sit there and listen and watch. They'd tell me the program they were doing. And I'd look through some of past programs and stuff. And then with Phil and Leo, kind of the same role when I was first working with Phil, I didn't write any programs at all. And I spent like a lot of times just in the gym watching and Phil would be like, Oh, what'd you see? And I'd tell him, you like, okay, cool. Same. <laughs> right. Know? And then just kind of go from there and build your confidence. And he let me write, some programs. Now I program for, uh, the junior lifters and I, some of the other, some other people on the team, I used to program a lot for masters and injured people on the team. That (laughs) was like the same. Yeah. (laughs) Same. (laughs) That was like my niche at first, but now with the juniors, um, I'm having a lot of fun programming for them. And that age range is what for you currently? So for juniors in USA weightlifting, it's like what? 16 to 20 or something 21 21, yeah the year you turn 21 you age out of junior and into senior but for us i mean it's pretty much you just think of it as like high school age right most of them are like 8 to 12th graders okay in our with who we have right now and then how many of those uh are going to a national level meet quite a few all of them yeah pretty much all of them they continue to train some of them some of them are weird point where they're like they're getting to that top end of the junior range and the numbers are getting a little bit harder and they have to, they're hitting growth spurts. So it's like, all right, do I get bigger? Right. Do I try to cut weight again? So we're yeah. dealing with that. But yeah, that's, that's an interesting aspect of, uh, of weightlifting though. Do you, I get weights 
Like, and I always have to watch you do it. <laughs> What's your walking around weight? <laughs> 220, sometimes a little more. 220. So then you'll cut to 96. Six, yeah. So, which is a decent amount of weight. Yeah. But I, you've gotten, I'll give you credit, you've gotten better at it. Yeah. You're not like <laughs> whiny. You're not whiny. Yeah, you're not whiny yeah. about oh, it. But, you know, just be so brutal watching him cut weight. Um, <sighs> um, but yeah. The So, with regard to that, like, if somebody's looking at, meat prep what's a what's a guidance right so forget programming like how do you how does a weightlifter get ready for a meet quality like we just like we've talked about how you know strength and techniques quality specific you know so is preparation to the meat what about like you just getting ready for the meat environment so like that what i got exposed to early because we run how many two two pretty big meets here mm-hmm. a year so 70 to 100 lifters roughly mm-hmm. in each one of those is just the rhythm mm-hmm. right like i think i Kind yeah. of like kind of worked and loaded bars first couple of years just to kind of learn it. But like and what I was really was just like blown away was just like like drop counts, all that kind of stuff in the and the card shuffling. I was like, Oh, this is a fucking strategic little chess match here going on that yeah. I was completely unaware of prior to that with regard to all of that from a coaching standpoint we have it down you know like i like to work the platform i like to be around the lifter and be encouraging and and brendan is a savant at the table like with the cards and he's always looking to like you know try to put other people at a disadvantage and there's so many different strategies and man so like for somebody, <laughs> so for somebody who's not aware of kind of how that works, give a brief overview of, of like why. Because I think people just think they're like, oh, I lift and then they lift and they lift and then and then we go back through in that order. And that's not how that works. Right. So at a weightlifting meet, whatever the opening weights declared, 60 kilos just to make it easy. Everyone has their opening attempts put in at weigh-ins and you can change those. You have a declaration and three changes. The weight on the bar either stays the same or goes up every attempt. It can never go back down. So you can kind of gauge what your next attempt is is going to be based on what the other lifters have in for their next attempts. And you count yourself out. You either do it by minutes or attempts depending on the clock leading up to the session starting. Or if you're going to open later in the session, you count other people's attempts. And then... What you have to, what you get used to at like a national meet is, you know, most people are going to change at a national meet and it's a lot of the same faces. So, you know, like, I mean, I know this guy's capable. within this range. Yeah, yeah. I know this guy's capable of 150. He's in at 135, 140. He's definitely going to bump that up. So you can take that into consideration when you count. Um, but at a local meet, you get some people that are like, I don't know what any of that means. And I put my entry total in in pounds and they had to tell me what a kilo was <laughs> and then you get other people that are like i'm the best local meat coach in the world and i'm gonna burn everybody's clock and i'm gonna use every change that i have and i'm gonna make this like a not fun experience for everyone else <laughs> but i'm having fun <laughs> yeah so you have to like find that middle ground you know like you want to get your lifter as much time as they need but you also like you don't want to mess the for us it's hard we'll have like 12 lifters in a 14 uh, person session, 12 of them are ours. So like, I don't want to burn any of our lifters clocks, but I also want to give our lifters an opportunity to sit. So you go up to the table, you make a declaration, you put changes in when you make your declaration, it will pause the clock, stop the clock or move it to the next lifter. So you have some time to play around with. And if you come off a miss lift and it's going to be my clock, I can change my lifter as soon as the clock starts and you go right back up and you lose your two minute break. And it's now a one minute break. Yeah. I was completely ignorant to like that like if somebody's trying to imagine what this looks like it's like your your warm-up 
is like literally reverse engineer it all the way to be like that person just took that lift empty bar go mm-hmm. next bar drops and you're like go to your next weight and then you're basically warming up almost in complete tandem with like the the pace that every, the meat is going yeah we do every three drops typically will move to the next one so you're counting out anywhere from like 21 to 27 minutes of warm-ups and the challenging thing is like you can look at the the start list and you're like, okay, that's easy. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, I'm about there's twelve people that are going to go before right. me. But what you don't realize is you have there's it's not just concrete. Like you there's predictability there. Like you have to see like is this person going to take a two kilo jump or a three kilo jump, and if so, how many? So you might count two or three attempts just for that person. So it might look like eight, could be twenty. Right. You know. And that was, that was what I was like, oh, I was like, now I see like the, like the strategy. And I was like, this is, I was like, and that for me was fun to watch. Cause like, what's the strategy here? And I was like, oh, never mind. This is like now kind of a mental game back yeah. and forth. Like, Hey, particularly for, if you have people that are going to be close in totals mm-hmm. and like, Hey, are we like, are we going to say, are like, are we going to bump up or like, what are we going to, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. Like, and I, that yeah. was cool for me to watch and, and get to see. Like uh, an athlete standpoint, that's why it's just, it's so crucial to have an experienced coach at the meet to handle that for you because that's not something you should be worried about, you know, at the meet. And we see it all the time with new lifters. Either they'll hear their, hear their name called, maybe we're going to make a change, and they start to panic, or they see the weight on the bar. Let's say they're opening with 100 kilos. And they see like 95s on the bar and they're like, oh my God, like I'm about to go soon, you know, yeah. but it could still be 15 attempts. There could be like 10 people between right. 95 and hundred kilos. Right. You know what I mean? And so, multiple attempts from some of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the part that I had no concept whatsoever about. And I, that was exposed to it. I was like, oh, now I understand the kind of sport and the competitive nature of this outside of just what you perform on the mm-hmm. platform. And this is where like the coach IQ really starts to come in. For sure. So that's coach's job. Athlete's um, job is the lift. We'll load. You that's know. why. Yeah. That's why we work so well, like at a national meet people, like people respond really well to having Phil in their corner. You know, he's He's done it. He's tall. a really good weightlifter, tall, tall. handsome fellow. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like it's motivating to have a guy like Phil back there. And I know he hates to hear this stuff. But, like, at national meets, I always joke he's a weightlifter's weightlifter. You can't walk <laughs> through the room. It's a 45-minute walk to get to, the like, the back room because he's got to shake everyone's hand and talk to everyone. He knows everyone. He's just a good guy. So the lifters get that, and it's in their corner, and they're excited. Like, Phil's telling me I'm good. I'm going to be good. And I'm not a people person. <laughs> so, fact. <laughs> fact. You are, in fact, not a people person. I stay at the table, and I do the cards, and I do, I think, a really good job. I've only Great. messed it up once, and it was for Phil. So, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but it works really well. We keep the athlete away from the table. We usually try to warm up far away from the table, and Phil keeps them amped up and ready to go. If they're, if they're too much, he brings them down. If they're not enough, he brings them up. And I try to keep it as organized as possible, and it's worked out. Communicate really just well. about one hundred percent. Just of give time. him. I'll just look at him, and I'm like, "What's up?" And he'll like give me a number. You yeah. know, like just constant communication. That's cool. Really That's cool. Fun. That it's uh, it's been cool to watch you guys progress and go through that, and and then cool to watch the because I, I have a unique perspective, probably even more so than you, because you guys are in it. But I kind mm-hmm. of get like a like a distant view and like watching people progress over several years yeah. at certain things. Like I can, you know, like Rachel, Andy, some of these other lifters yeah, who were like, yeah, like people who were like very novice weightlifters and coming in and throwing down like 
legitimate totals yeah, now. We talked about that yesterday. You know, like yeah. you know, like well in well over 140, 150 yeah. in clean and jerk. You know, like you know, one ten, like things that are like mm-hmm. pretty pretty legit. Yeah. You know, um, and it's been cool to watch them. Just not not just as they getting stronger, but like it's a it's a it's very distinct change. In technique, they're like that's oh that is a significantly different weightlifter than they were yeah, two totally. years ago. I think Phil would agree, but like we're the most proud of regardless of what weight is on the bar. When you watch someone from our gym lift, they move in a way that other people can be like, oh, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It could be fifty percent, or it could be a heavy attempt, and it's like, oh, all right, they're they're weightlifters. They yeah. get it. Are you still enjoying retirement? Yeah. Just the weight cut. See, you said it, and I started to sweat. You know what I mean? I, that's the thing. So you you just recently retired from competing? Semi, yeah. Wait, so no? I mean, I, it's, it's not ruled you out. out. You I left mean, it open? I, I, yeah, I haven't ruled it out that you, I could you did, potentially would you, would you just again. clean and jerk the other, like last week? 400 pounds. It's not bad. It's not bad. I had a goal, lifetime goal, to clean and jerk 400 pounds at 40. So I turned 40. And then clean and jerk and 400 then, pounds. Yeah, I, I was... I had a strike while the iron was hot because I was feeling good coming off of Christmas time. And I, I'm only so, going to get it once. I'm only yeah. going to get it once. So um, took care of that. The other thing I thought would be cool to talk about is, because um, you were a big part of this too, was the injuries, mm-hmm. training through injuries, right? Like, shit happens, right? Um, but you had a pretty significant injury. 2018. Yeah, I was going to say three, but it's actually five years ago. I know. Um, yeah. And... And I was actually writing a series of, of kind of articles on this just for education purposes. How long before you were back mm. doing some training? I don't mean like weightlifting, but like. Yeah, uh, by week eight, I think. I was in a sling for six weeks. Once I got cleared from the sling, I could use safety squat bar. And but weren't you like doing that. stuff even when you were in a sling? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, how, I mean, how many days, like a, like a oh, week? Yeah, I mean, two days after surgery, yeah. I had I was out of the sling doing passive range of motion with PT. Right. And that's kind of, um, I think a lot of people, CrossFitters specifically, yeah, speaking to that, they're like, oh, I can't train. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, actually, the best thing for you yeah, 100%. is to continue training. For sure. Right. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? So we should also talk about, like, what's, real quick, like, mm-hmm. what is your day job? Obviously, this is you run the club here, yep. but, like, I'm you're s- you're not just, like, a meathead, right? Like, you have, like, <laughs> oh, you have, I mean, definitely Well, that, you are but... a meathead, but, like, <laughs> you do have, like, some academia in your in your yeah in your background yep i fooled a bunch of people <laughs> and i got it but yeah i'm senior faculty at old dominion university and in then what do you teach theology yeah 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 so he's a functional he's a, anatomy and strength and conditioning yeah so he's a, a body nerd right um but that's important because i think a lot of people mess that up you know like you've for helped sure. me through some stuff or like slip discs you're just like oh yeah just mm-hmm. do some like press-ups and you'll be fine in two days and seems I was so like, simple i went from like being literally <laughs> cripple to be like oh i think i'm fine i was like i'm yeah. never gonna walk again and he's like yeah just do some press-ups and i was yeah. like oh it worked um and I think I think people misunderstand that. They're like, you don't have to stop training. You do have to significantly change what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I know you were helping him a lot. And then um, who else uh, was Nicole doing a lot of programming for you? That at least yeah, some of the rehabilitative I mean, stuff. Yep. Yeah. We yeah. were doing a handful of like all kinds of different things. Just ever since that shoulder injury, it just sort of snowballed into other things. Like a year later, I hyperextended my elbow because my shoulder mobility wasn't like what it used to be. And then just the changing in positions because it wasn't as fluid as it used to be. I just got a lot more like 
imbalances. Yeah, muscular injuries, hip stuff, and like that was never around before. So we should we talk about what the injury was and what happened. Uh, approach to training. So we'll talk about the injury. What happened? Uh, dislocated my shoulder in first snatch in 2018 national championships, and uh, I mean, a sublux did. It came out, came back in, felt strange. Went back out, made 155 snatch, had a really good attempt at 160, which was my lifetime goal. Had it overhead, just couldn't. With a shoulder that doesn't work, yeah, by the yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> And yep. then uh, went out and made all three clean and jerks and one gold and clean and jerk. And then within like two hours after that, I could barely lift my arm up. And uh, we traveled with Jake PT yeah. and he did a few tests. And I had pretty much no connection, rotator cuff. In the back, Just I ripped, ripped it off. Two rotator cuff completely from the bone. Yeah. I, I remember when you showed up here. Oh, like, my God. So, <laughs> that, there, that, was, <laughs> that was multifactorial, Fern, because I know that I either got food poisoning or I had, like, an adverse reaction to pain or something, but I was up all night. Does it just mean you're a pussy? Probably. <laughs> Throwing up. Never heard that an adverse reaction to pain. (laughs) There are people that enjoy it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Oh, my God. So I threw up all night long, and then I tried to convince Brennan, I'm just going to stay here. I'll get the next flight out. Like, I can't move. Like, I was just puking and, you know, shitting myself. And so... You showed up here, dude, and oh, you were a wreck. A we were in emotionally, just physically sobbing, sobbing. Like you walked up to me and you literally just put your head on my shoulder, you and like, you were Congrats, just, dude. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is happening right now? He was, dude, he was a mess. Well, I wouldn't I was let like, Brendan go. I was yeah. over there. We were hugging. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw you guys like Where? I was like I don't know what's happening right now and you were like his, his shoulder's broken and I was like okay oh, oh dude it was bad um, but yeah but I mean you so you went got it repaired yep um, and then immediately back into training and I, and I do want to one of the things that I think has bled over and I think this is a direct representation of the both of you but probably start with you is like you are what I would describe as like one of the most diligent, disciplined athletes with regard to training that I've ever seen. Like you are painfully methodical about training, <laughs> right? Like, but th- that's a compliment though. Like yeah. I've, I've like you, st- I mean, I've been watching you for eight years right. and your training regimen has never, it's very similar Has never like taking like a weird, it's just like, Oh, he's not training right now. So it's just, Nope. Mm-hmm. Walks in does the work, puts in the reps, make sure it's good, mm-hmm. repeat, rinse, wash, repeat every single time, and it, which Four is like, years. yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, no more, you're clean and jerking 400 at the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Like We talked about just yesterday how important consistency in training is, and you can see it with some of the people that take time off and come back and where they are versus where their peers are, and it's like just that, that little bit of not the little bit of time off, but like the, the things that they do in the time off, like if it's strategic, if it's not, if it's gone for a little bit back for a little bit, you know, kind of in, kind of out. Once they build that consistency back, everything starts to get better. But without it, it's a struggle. All there's always something they're going to struggle with. Well, it's just been cool to watch people because obviously they take cues from both of you. Like you still just as regularly. I mean, he's obviously competing. Like has been more in the competitive side, so it's a little bit different. But I but people. 
they follow that. It's just like, oh, and, yeah. I, and I'm, and I've seen you get in some of the athletes who are like, mm-hmm. you know, when they're young and they're like, Oh, I can do it. And you're just like, you're going to break yourself. Yeah, like this is, this is not if here. it's a win. Yeah. And if you're going to keep doing this, like you're just rolling the dice repeatedly yeah. because you're, you're taking this, like you're trying to take your body to the, to the end, mm-hmm. right. To the end range on loading volume, all this other stuff. And I'm like, it's not going to pan out for oh. you. And they don't realize what they look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, they, they only know, does it, it either I can or I can't. Like, there's no gray area. They don't feel like, they don't know what the positions feel like yet mm-hmm. to do it correctly. So when there's flaws or whatever, they they don't know, you yeah. know? it's they, they don't understand that you can, you can miss a lift and it'd be a better lift than a lift that you make. Mm-hmm. And they just can't wrap their brain around that. They're like, no, I made it. It's good but the positions were trash. Like it was just luck that that bar ended up over their head versus a lift that they miss making the right technical changes that they need. But something else was a little bit off or they hit a position they're not used to hitting. And that's why, you know, the timing was a little bit different, whatever it is, but they learned more from that miss and they made more progress moving the way they did in the miss than just chucking the bar over their head. Obviously different kind of genres, if you will, CrossFit, weightlifting, a lot of overlap. But how do you guys coach that? Because that that same scenario, micro, much, uh, you know, much less dire circumstances, if you will, happens in the CrossFit space all the time. Like trying to get somebody to be like, hey, I need you to make a good decision right now. Like what's your your kind of approach to that? Because it's not easy for everybody, particularly for like a lot of new coaches. And like, Mm -hmm. how do I get somebody to forget the load on the bar or the time on the board or whatever it's going to be and just make a good training decision? I think it starts like with culture, you know, and our philosophy has been always been, we raise the minimums, Mm -hmm. right? And that's part of the acclimation, you know, the acclimation phase is like, well, how heavy should I go? We don't prescribe percentages to a lot of things or like intensities or anything. And it's like, well, we work to what we call threshold weights Mm -hmm. through that. And every exercise has a different threshold for your technique and your skill level and your strength levels. And our goal is to like on your worst day, you hit this and then X amount of weeks later on your worst day, you're hitting something better than that. Like the minimums are what drive the maximum. So, you know, even, I don't know, you know, what do you, we talk about this so so much in so many different ways. I think like just a big thing is like letting them know that just because you miss, like you, you have a number in mind that you want, whatever it's a heavy day or if it's not a heavy day and they're just not doing great and they're supposed to be hitting 85%. If they have enough trust in you as a coach and you talk them into, hey, let's go down a little bit and make some good reps, you get a lot out of that because they're going to leave on a make instead of frustrated, missing reps. And you can point out positives that came from it as opposed to be like, well, you know, better luck next time or you miss these because of X, Y, and Z. They get to walk away with a win. And they, like, I think that just changes their outlook for the rest of the training session, the rest of the week, the rest of that cycle. They're like, you don't remember the day where you missed 80% three times. You remember the day where you went down and had some makes and moved on to the next thing, you know, and it's just kind of like getting them to buy in that like, it's better to do work now for progress later Mm -hmm. instead of just trying to get whatever you can out of every single day or whatever. So I would imagine like, in a CrossFit workout, if someone is just like really stressing over a number, or if it's like, Hey, that, that I know you can do that weight, but that's not 
that weight for this workout, right. like trying to get through to them to be like, understand that if you want 135 on the bar, but maybe 115 is the number for you. And you do that really well today. The next time this workout comes up, 135 might be super easy. Yeah. But if you crush yourself with 135 and a workout that's supposed to take six minutes and it takes you 16, like you're not getting it. You're not understanding right. what the intention of this is. And it like our intention is like a huge thing for us. That, and I think that's um, obviously something we stress on that side over there. But it, there's a lot, you know, I work with gym owners and coaches like the, a lot of them struggle with that. And I and like think you're right. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. And, like, and it takes time. Like that's exactly where I was going to go with that. It, like people don't really understand unless they've been in it long enough, how much fatigue gets accumulated from squats or pulls or presses and like all the different varieties of things that we do not, you know what I mean? You guys even more so. Mm -hmm. And so it, you're not just because your one rep max is this on your best day. Like that means nothing when you're under all that fatigue of loading or like you have cardiovascular stuff you're doing or whatever all of that is adding together that's like that's not your max right now you know what i mean yeah so that's or you just that's might be tired the, just right like yeah, you, had exactly. a, you didn't sleep and raising it's just like, the minimum right you know? like, like this is it has nothing that might be your maximum on, on your best day rarely that's such a rare occurrence you know what i mean and so what can you consistently do in the gym at a high quality that's what's important that's a it's a good point that you bring like just the it's a rare occurrence like because you've done, obviously done it far more than, than most people. Like, what percentage of the time do you think you're actually capable of, like, full swing? Twice a, I mean, I would compete twice, a year. twice, sometimes three times a year, depending on, you know, what I would need to do. But, I mean, even even two weeks out from the meet, I think the most I would snatch is somewhere between 145 and 150. And, like, I that's max, you know. And then I would open at 150. And I'd hit 150, 155, and take shots at something over top of that. You know what I and mean? And you're like, you're literally only touching those on the competition platform. Maybe twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but that's what I'm, that's what I think is the important part is just yeah. like understanding is like, you cannot do that all the time. Like the body will just not sustain it. And it's just like, but you could operate in the 85, 90% sure. for a long time. For super high quality. Yep. And the carryover is going to be much better. So is the consistency. You only get three attempts on the platform. You know what I mean? So it's not one of those things where I hit 150, but I had to take six attempts at it. Mm -hmm. And on the last one, I accidentally, like we said, jumped underneath of it enough to make it. Now, you can't say that you made 150 then. You know what I mean? You say, you I was one for six. I'm going to take it. I'm yeah. going to take it. <laughs> but, like, that's not a number that you should be confident with right. when it's meet day. Yeah. You know what I mean? You took, took you six attempts to accidentally make it. I, so. Well, I think the what's probably happening there is it's like it's just a – it's not about the process, right? It's just like, I just need to touch that number to say mm -hmm. that I did it instead of just being like, can I do that well? Can every time I grab that barbell, that weight's going overhead? Mm -hmm. Like even on my worst day, it's right. it's right and on the edge good. and it's right on the edge, but I'm and still going to make right. the lift. Yeah, exactly. Um, even under fatigue. I think uh, takeaway for like the difference between coaching weightlifting on our side and then coaching a weightlifting movement in a CrossFit workout. One thing that I didn't realize until I started just coaching weightlifting, it's really hard to cue someone in the middle of a workout when it's a movement that technical, right? But the benefit that we have is our relationship with our athletes is different because of the, the way we spend time with them while they're mm -hmm. working out is different because there's breaks in between. We can have a lot of conversations and those conversations build understanding. So that one or two word cue, they're taking away everything they learned from that conversation 
So like the biggest thing would be figuring out a way to like connect with the athletes either before the workout or in previous sessions so that when there's a complex movement, it doesn't have to be a weightlifting movement, any complex movement that you're coaching or something you're not comfortable with as a coach, you should really take the time when you have it to talk about it so everyone understands what you mean. And then when it comes time to give that cue, they know what you mean when you say whole foot or elbows up, bodies down, whatever you're like common cue yeah, that you use. The, the cue doesn't matter. Like, so the point, mean? you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's, yeah, it's what's behind the cue. And we have the benefit of, we can pack a ton of understanding into one or two words because we talk all the time. There's teachable moments over here. This is one of my biggest, um, I don't want to say pet peeves, but arguments against a lot of the, what I would consider to be over programming in the CrossFit space, just like strengthless Metcon, strengthless Metcon. And I'm like the, the what, what you're actually, number one, it's less productive. I mean, I'm not really getting a good training session out of both of those. Mm-hmm. Number two, from a coaching standpoint, yes, just if we, if we think about just the lack of t- lack of ability to coach because I'm now just hurting cats, but like long term, that's what you're forfeiting. I'm forfeiting a lot of client or a lot of athlete coach connection to like have, and that's why I think just like just do a heavy day, mm-hmm. just. Lift, lift for 40 minutes just lift yeah. for 40 minutes and connect and and connect those dots for people mm-hmm. and be like here's what we're talking about like here's the little nuance in this that you're work that you're not understanding or that's going to take you a while to understand but if i've got 15 minutes like work up to a heavy in 15 minutes i'm like you're not getting that yeah. it's not happening like you're just not going to get that stuff in and i think i didn't realize that at first but i and now i realize i'm like you want those moments i want to talk to you for three minutes between lifts yeah. about that thing right. whatever it might be yep because we're going to cover, like you said, we're going to cover a lot mm-hmm. of ground. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it might take me six months to tell you that. Right. You know. Yeah. The the coaches that we've brought on since Phil and I have been working together, Nicole, Zoe, Andy, when he was doing his internship with us, Connor oh, and Rachel. Rachel, all of them, when they were, when I was giving them advice or we were talking about, new, we have them screen new athletes. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's really good because you get comfortable talking to someone you get to teach a movement talk about a movement but the biggest thing is like you have an opportunity now to start that relationship with the athlete where find common ground like what sport did you play okay well I played that sport too or I'm from here too wherever it is you they get comfortable the more comfortable they are the easier it is for them to learn and then you get like especially as a new coach if you if the new coach does the onboarding or the introduction or whatever you want to call it that's their opportunity to not be seen as the new coach. They're just the coach. Now it's like the first interaction they have with this person. They don't know it's my second day. So I start a good relationship with them. We find common ground and we build a relationship that's outside of whatever movements you're doing. And then that way they're comfortable with you. You're comfortable with them. They can be a better athlete. You can be a better coach because of just the relationship. And that's like one thing that we did on accident in the beginning. That's just like how we are. And it worked out really well. And now that we can point that out and teach our new coaches that they do really well with it. Well, what you just outlined is one of the things that we harp to people when bringing an athlete into the CrossFit. I'm like, you have, there has, there needs to be a thoughtful process on like why you do the things that you do when you integrate somebody into the community. It's not just because one of the first things I do with like people there's, they send me kind of like what they do when they're onboarding. We teach the nine foundation movements. I'm like, stop teaching all of that. Mm -hmm. It's not useful. Not to mean that those movements are not useful. They are not useful in this context because that's not what this interaction is for. Yeah. And who, when's the ne- who knows the next time they're going to do it. Correct. Right. You so know? I'm just like, let's learn something else about them. Let's learn like psych- psychologically, where are they? Physically, yeah. where are they? Like, what is their threshold for coaching? 
Yeah. Right? Are they just yeah. completely resistant to any? They're like, oh no, I know how to do it. I'm like, oh right. shit! All right now, I got to know. Now I know yeah. that as a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what are their limitations? And it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. I've seen you guys do this a hundred times. It's not mm-hmm. rocket science, no. but it's just oh, it's you being a coach, mm-hmm. not just being a trainer who can list words out on a right. whiteboard. I'm like, yeah. that's not a coach. Yeah. And um, let's be honest too, like the ones that don't, you know, ask questions, the ones that they get the program and they're like, you know, <laughs> and they find a platform all the way over in the corner, they don't make progress or they don't last here. Right. You know what I mean? So to piggyback off of Brendan's point, you know, that relationship early on, it's kind of like the new parent. Right. The first time that the kids says dad or mom or whatever, you know what I mean? It's fulfilling. Yeah. Well, it's like kind of like that coaching yeah. wise, you know, when a new athlete comes in and they come up to you with a ton of questions and they're pumped about it and you're like, all right, this is going to work. Nice. You know, what do you guys got coming up? So you're going to get into the 21st century. <laughs> yep, we're getting on the internet. <laughs> so, so like, um, you guys are trying to move some a lot into more virtual programs, which I think is mm-hmm. going to be cool. I think we got a bunch of stuff on the website, um, but it's still it's still old news. You know what I mean? Like we're going to try to get in. We're we're in the process of getting all of our stuff inputted on Train Heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get back to podcasting with the jerk block talk. talk. Yeah, it's going to be great. We'll dub you guys the owners yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean you technically own the jerk box at this point. So yeah, <laughs> we're going to be putting in a lot of different things, you know, uh, content wise on social media too. So, so if people, you know, if, if if coaches, box owners, or whatever, are interested in like potentially like either working with you guys as to coach them or to like programs or anything like that to run at their box where's the place where's the best east place coast gold dot store okay has everything on there or find us on social media and yeah you know, just east coast gold yep east yeah. coast gold weightlifting yep. at east coast gold wl actually yeah, yeah, yeah. um so. yep follow tremendous resource tons of experience how many meets would you say competed and coached in at this point oh man i probably close to 100 at this point i would guess that's a lot 10 years or just yeah, a little bit more. I mean, I started 2006, so that's a lot. 17 dude. years. Yeah. I feel like you should be better at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No, but I hope, I hope that's helpful for everybody. Again, if, if you guys have questions, reach out, you can reach out directly to me. I'll make the handoff. But, uh, and if, and, and also open invitation, if you guys ever just want to come down here and hang yeah. out across at Rife or just watch these guys coach, mm-hmm. we've, lift. yeah, we've never yeah. turned anybody away. We're not going to no. turn anybody away. If you just want to come in here and like experience what that's like, if you're even close, make the trip. I promise you, you will not regret it. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Anything else? No. Awesome. You did it. You weren't weird. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for checking out this episode of the best hour of their day podcast. We appreciate you listening and choosing to have us help you in your passion for coaching and affiliate ownership. You can find more episodes just like this on all podcast platforms. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach out to us on any social media platforms, or you can visit www.besthouroftheirday.com to book a call. If you found this episode helpful for you, please share it so that we can help other coaches and affiliate owners to help build a bigger and stronger CrossFit community. Thanks for listening.